This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. But first, if you love the outdoors and are looking for ways to align your education with future employment in the trades, Northwest Technical College in Bemidji is for you. Explore state-of-the-art technical education in six career paths, automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology, all in the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods, surrounded by more than 400 lakes and, of course, limitless forests. The shortest path to your dream job and a good bite is at NTC, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. I'm Chuck Hasse, Leisure Outdoor Adventures, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country. We are checking in once again with Blaine Klemek. He is the Assistant Wildlife Manager out of the Northwest Office here in Bemidji. You had a couple of great trips this summer that I, I kind of lived vicariously through social media with. Uh, not just a, not just one trip, but two big trips this summer for you. Yes, yes. The Alaska trip, Kevin, uh, was the biggie, um, I'll have to say. Uh, there's there's been a handful of us that for the last many years have been talking about a return trip to Alaska to do another adventure and uh, goodness it's been a long time since the first one which was back in 1999 there were six of us uh, back in that uh, back in 1999 that went up to uh, Anchorage where we we flew from there to the little seaport village Dillingham, and from there, uh, this was the 1999 trip, from there we went, uh, got into a Grumman Goose, (laughs) I don't know if uh, your listeners know exactly what that aircraft is, but it was perhaps one of the most unique airplanes I've ever been in, Uh, I don't know the age of it, Uh, you know, pretty old airplanes, um, but these aircraft land on their fuselage like a boat. In fact, the, the bottom of the of the uh, airplane is, you know, hauled like a boat. And so anyway, uh, we boarded the Grumman Goose from Dillingham, and the pilot flew three of us to Good News Lake, where he landed, and um, we got out, got our gear out, and such, uh, so forth. And then he returned back to get the other three fellas uh, with their gear and so forth, and and then uh, from there, um, on that trip, was uh, inflating uh, two rafts, two big rubber rafts, three three men to a raft, and we proceeded uh, this trip, that trip, I should say, um, on Good News Lake, uh, to eventually it turned into Good News River, and about 70 or 80 miles later, um, we uh, were picked up by... A villager from the the little village uh, along the along the ocean called Good News Bay, and uh, what that trip was was a float trip, a camping trip, and a fishing trip. And so, fast forward all the years later, um, seven of us on this trip three fr- three from the the original one, uh, myself and and two other fellas, uh, we decided. We decided to instead of going back to to uh, Good News Lake and um, 
fishing for salmon and trout there. We decided to go to a place uh, not too far, actually, from from uh, Good News Lake and, and Good News River, uh, but the Katmai National Park, um, which is uh, the Alaska Peninsula, um, mm-hmm. and you know, as a as a, a kind of a you know, if you, people think of Alaska, you probably know where the Aleutian Chain is, and um, that's all a part of uh, eventually, you know, the Alaska the Alaska Peninsula, and we did that trip. Uh, just just this past July, um, Kevin, and I can talk more about it, of course. But uh, anyway, that that trip uh, we we began on July fifth, uh, all the way up to Katmai National Park. So the the uh, guys that go with you are they childhood friends, family? Who how, who is yeah. this group? Well, um, a mishmash, I guess, would be <laughs> kind of uh, what we could call this. Uh, 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 a fellow by the name of Olin Anderson. He's a Bagley High School biology teacher. I met him. I met him um, way back in 1993. Yeah, when I returned to school at Bemidji State University, he was in my biology class, and we hit it off. Been hunting and fishing ever since. And, and uh, another fellow, John Welna, a, f- a friend that I met through Oli, um, and then. Uh, John Wellness, uh, two sons and a son-in-law, and uh, one of Ole Anderson's former high school uh, students came along on this trip too. All, all of us, uh, um, well on in some, well on in the years, and uh, you know, youngest fella, uh, right around forty years old, and all, all accomplished wilderness uh, travelers. But uh, I would say that there were three of us that have done these types of trips before um and uh one other that has has traveled around the united states and other places in alaska as well fishing and so uh, a group of guys that i've known uh all but uh one fella that i i didn't know and that was john's son-in-law scott and uh anyway he was the only one that i hadn't met prior to this trip so um what makes alaska so magical in your mind what makes it so magical? It's so immense. I, you know that—that's the thing that you come away with. I mean, Katmai National Park. You know, people think of a national park, and you might—you might kind of think of a place like Yellowstone. Obviously, Yellowstone is is wilderness, but there's uh, components of Yellowstone that's fairly well developed, of course. But Katmai National Park itself is. Uh, it's over four million acres in size, um, you know, and six thousand, you know, square miles. So it's it's enormous in itself. And Alaska, of course, is <laughs> much more uh, expansive than Katmai National Park is. Um, so you just come away, you know. I would say, for me anyway, that the two trips that I've made to Alaska and have done these wilderness trips. I've just come away feeling uh, small <laughs> in comparison to the wilds of Alaska, and it, you, you you come back thankful. You 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 just I tell you what, Kevin, it, it's a it's a feeling that if anybody has ever wanted to go to Alaska, uh, and you, don't, you don't have to even do a wilderness type trip to to experience it, but 
it's wild, and and it's perhaps you know one of our last frontiers. To tell you the truth. Absolutely, and and of course, a lot of people go there for adventuresome hunting trips as well as fishing trips. You guys were fishing. We were fishing. This was a this was a fishing camping trip, so to speak. Um, we began this trip by uh, using Alaska Airlines and you know flying flying out of Minneapolis, and it was actually a direct flight from from Minneapolis all the way to Anchorage, and then. From Anchorage, uh, Alaska Airlines took us to to uh, a little a little uh, town called King Salmon, and uh, we spent the night in King Salmon and got our gear, you know, ready and uh, you know made sure that everything was all, all all systems go there with gear. And unfortunately, I tell you what, this was uh, this was an unfortunate. It could have been could have been worse. When we got to King Salmon. And we're uh, collecting all of our gear, you know, our dry bags that we used uh, um, uh, to, you know, cat, to pack all our hunting or hunting, fishing uh, and camping supplies and everything. Well, one uh, one fella, uh, Mark, John Wellness' son, uh, discovered fairly quickly that one of his bags were missing, was missing, and. Uh, well, that's exactly what happened. No idea what happened if the airlines lost it or if somehow or another at that at the airport that we were at at King Salmon it it got lifted by someone. N- no idea. But uh frantically, um you know, Mark went through his things and uh discovered that you know, a lot of the food that he had packed uh you know was was missing, you know, because he didn't have that one particular pack and so uh, we started the trip off kind of uh, bumpy. Um, didn't have necessarily all the gear that that Mark had brought. And we were able to pull resources together and found uh, <laughs> found a sleeping bag in town where you could you know use and 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 uh, you know we we of course assessed what we had for groceries and so forth and was able to get a few things at King Salmon before. Before we were uh, then having to get on to a, a charter, uh, Katmai Air, which uh, is only about a 45-minute flight, over to Brooks Lodge um, of Katmai National Park. And if anybody wants, uh, anybody wants to look at uh, Brooks Lodge, it's, it's it's a premier place, world-renowned place to watch grizzly bears actually the it's the brown bear these coastal coastal grizzly bears subspecies that uh, tend to be larger than the inland grizzly bear and brooks lodge is a uh, is a place where um the cat katmai national park and preserve uh has it really well organized and run where you can walk uh, uh I, I think it's about a three-quarter mile walk along um you know some boardwalks and and uh, a bridge that goes over the Brooks River, and eventually you get to an observation overlook of the uh, waterfalls where these giant brown bears, a lot of them that are more habituated to people, mm-hmm. um, gather to fish for salmon. And just a it's an unbelievable place to to view these brown bears safely. Wow. Oh. Yeah, I know, uh, you know, people, I know plenty of people who are listening to this show have probably been to Alaska once or twice, uh, and it is a, and, and when they all come back, 
And I talked to them. They all talk like excited little kids because it's just so amazing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, our trip, which was a canoe trip, I told you earlier, uh, talking about rafts and so forth, this was, a, this was a canoe trip, and this canoe trip was across some of the biggest lakes I've ever seen. You know, they're uh, like small great lakes, uh, the Naknek Lake, for example, the one of the lakes that that uh, we actually had to traverse on. You know, it was a 235 square mile lake. I mean, just think of that. It, mm. That's big, and and these big waters, of course, can be dangerous. Uh, any type of wind. So uh, we we were able to keep tabs on uh, on weather conditions fairly fairly well throughout the trip and we really lucked out um the big loop that we did from brooks lodge was uh you know we entered into the knack lake and then up to um upper uh the north arm of knack lake uh, which is where the bay of islands are and and from there um we would eventually ended up having to do a, a pretty extensive uh portage uh, all in all we probably did easily seven miles on the portage itself because of return trips to get gear and that took us over to grosvenor lake um again these places uh they're all wild this is wilderness this is back country and uh um all in all this whole trip that we did was well over a hundred mile loop with the canoes but i'd say the most exciting thing kevin aside from catching some pretty darn nice uh lake run rainbow trout and some plenty of lake trout and uh and uh some sockeye salmon and uh northern pike was for me yeah the fishing was fantastic uh it it, you can't beat it it's it's world-class fishing for sure um was the number of brown bears that uh, we encountered uh back in the wilderness these were unacclimated you know they're not uh they're not bears that necessarily see a lot of people and uh anyway that that for me was uh the what made the trip the most memorable of all was uh seeing so many brown bears uh roughly 70 alone uh that we saw in the back country some very very close encounters just feet from our tents and uh a lot of bears on the river that we actually had to uh, uh, canoe uh, the Savinoski, which is a glacial glacial torrent of of uh, of, a, of a river coming down from the glaciers. This uh, rolling, very fast moving, five mile per hour to six mile per hour current uh, <laughs> took us through country that was was quick you know in paddling it was a 16 mile run on savanoski river to get back to uh the iliac arm of naknek lake this river alone took us through uh the country that bears were congregating all over the river to fish for salmon mm. and uh we saw we saw within uh the first the first 35 miles or so or 35 first uh um 10, 12 miles of that Savanoski River over 40 bears, <laughs> 40 brown bears. Wow. What a, 
What a what a thing to see. I mean, oh that's my. wow. Uh, you know, and I tell you what, you know, you can't you can't uh, be prepared enough for a, a trip like this. For uh, you know, you got you got to be thinking of safety, obviously, uh, safety in, in a canoe. You know, the water's cold. These are glacial lakes. Um, you know, life preservers, of course. Uh, you know, personal flotation devices. Everybody is wearing those and being safe with the weather and so forth, and being safe with the bears. Um, all of us carried pepper spray, bear spray, um, and uh, um, there were a couple of handguns that were brought just in case. Uh, as well as well as two of us purchased electrified bear fence. Um, some, you know, people listening to this, you know, probably have seen or maybe even have purchased these uh, these electrified fences to put or you know install, put around your your tent at night. And uh, two of us, like I said, bought. Uh, from a Canadian company, uh, Bear Alert, I believe it is what's called, uh, electrified fences, these little energizers that, uh, you know, provide the power to the fence itself, uh, about 800 volts and powered by eight AA batteries, real portable and only weighed three pounds uh, with four little fence posts that collapse kind of like tent poles and, and you know, the kit comes with everything, so uh, most nights we set these uh, fences up around the tents. What? A, that's a good idea. I even, I've never even heard of those before. No, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, research biologists, uh, utilize these for. You know, these research biologists in Alaska that happen to be in bear country will use them. Hunters using them, even in downstate places like Montana and uh, uh, Wyoming where grizzly bears are, uh, there are hunters nowadays that are utilizing these you know, electrified fences just to put a psychological and a physical barrier around you at night. Um, and you know, they're, they're proven to work. I, I don't believe one brown bear actually came up to the fence and touched it uh, at night, but we did, have, we, had, we did have brown bears pass right by the tent that night and and there were a couple of times uh sitting sitting underneath a shelter um that that we would erect each each at one of our campsites uh we would erect this little shelter to to sit underneath because it rained a lot it's <laughs> one thing about southwest alaska kevin it rains just about every day but there were times though uh just sitting there in camp uh um you know shooting the breeze and looking at the sights uh, where all of a sudden there's a brown bear just down down the shore. And, you know, you'd employ tactics like, obviously, uh, getting up and, uh, you know, making sure that uh, the bear sees you. Um, uh, you not know, shouting real loud, but just, you know, uh, saying things to the bear itself so <laughs> at least it can identify that there's something down the shoreline. And, and Every case that 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 happened, bears uh, they they did go the other way, or they they did a diversion where they would just head into the woods and come out somewhere down shore from us, around us, working around us. So every bear, every bear, Kevin that we encountered, uh, 
behave like you would want a, a wild brown bear to behave. They they uh, they left us alone, and we left them alone, and we did everything carefully. Um, in fact, uh, where we ate was usually anywhere from a hundred or more yards away from where we slept. So there were no there was no food like where our tents were. Um, you know, we cooked fish and so forth, and our other meals. Uh, backpacking type uh, freeze dried meals away from from our uh, from away from our tents. Um, so for those who've never fished for salmon in uh, uh, Alaska, it's way different than trying to lure a walleye to bite in Minnesota. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, difficult to catch um, uh, these these salmon, but. Um, there were a couple of guys that were fairly success, successful with it. Um, these uh, sockeye salmon don't necessarily—they're not feeding per se. They, you know, the one thing about these—it's unbelievable the, the numbers of salmon that come from the ocean up into Alaska's rivers and tributaries to to go back to their natal—you uh, know—the place that they were hatched. Um, from eggs, and they make that trip. Trip some years later, um, as smolt, they leave the the river systems, and then they they mature in the ocean, and then they return to where where uh, they hatch from eggs. But uh, um, you know, you can successfully catch these uh, these sockeye salmon um, with uh, kind of a technique that some people use where hooks um, are sort of respirated into their mouth uh, through these massive schools, so it's incidental, almost like uh, hooking. Um, and then lake trout, uh, that's thats a standard fish that we have plenty of in Minnesota. Um, same techniques there. Uh, we primarily were using spoons uh, with single hooks. That's the other thing about the uh, National Park Katmai is that uh, single barbless hooks are, are what has to be used, and um, it's just a you know, conservation method of fishing that uh, you know that'll that'll uh, that'll reduce any type of mortality from foul hooks and and you know badly hooked fish. So that was the other thing. Um, and northern pike, uh, we we were catching northern pike in the Bay of Isles, uh, Bay of Islands on the north arm of uh, Knack Knack Lake. Uh, same thing, same just like we would fish for northern pike here in Minnesota. Same way there, um, except I would say that some <laughs> some of the fish that we were catching uh, were maybe a little bit bigger than one ones you normally catch maybe around here. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so how long was that trip? Our our uh, wilderness trip was an eleven day eleven wow. day trip. Um, you know, eleven days in the wilderness. So it was. Uh, you know, it was a, it was it was a it was a trip that started out, um, like I said earlier, from Brooks Lodge, where we rented the canoes. Uh, the canoes were rented there, as, as well as uh, the PFDs and you know paddles. And, and uh, since you can't you can't um, travel on an airplane with pepper spray, uh, we also acquired uh, you know purchased our pepper spray from. Uh, folks at uh, Brooks Lodge, and then uh, from there we uh, took off in our canoes and 
began the long journey uh, to the Bay of Islands on Naknek Lake, where we spent our first night. We spent a couple of nights there, and, and throughout the trip, uh, generally speaking, one to two nights each at a wilderness campsite. Um, you know, these these are non-designated sites. I mean, this isn't like being in the Boundary Waters where you have to stick to wherever there would be um, a uh, latrine or or a campfire camp uh, um, uh, camp campfire area. This uh, this is all wilderness camping, and 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 that's exactly how we did it. And I suppose over the the course of time, some of the places that we were selecting uh, were probably places that others had been uh, over the over the time that Katmai has been around as a national park and preserve. But eleven days went pretty quick, despite <laughs> despite the fact that it's the land of the midnight sun. So. You know, there, I don't think there was a night that I got to bed before midnight. I mean, it was just lo- always light uh, and barely dark ever. So uh, that was the other thing. The trip seemed longer. <laughs> you know, it was 11 days, but because <laughs> I was awake most of the time, it felt like uh, it didn't. It you know, it seemed like it, it was even even a longer trip. How much of uh, how much of your eating was the fish you were catching? You know, we had some pretty good fish meals, but uh, didn't eat fish every day. So I supplemented, you know, my my particular diet was uh, a lot of um, mountain house freeze-dried meals. You know, I would have in the morning a mountain house uh, breakfast skillet, which is a really good meal of eggs and, you know, meat and some uh, peppers and uh potatoes it's just a kind of a neat lots of protein and lots of calories and so forth and and then for for lunches uh stuck to a kind of a same boring diet of uh, a good uh beef stick and and some uh, a couple of protein bars and some dried fruit and uh, uh nuts and that was usually my lunch but uh in the evening yeah if we had some fish uh we'd pull resources and have ourselves, uh, you know, good fish fry, and we we had a few of those: northern pike, lake trout, and uh, a little bit of salmon. Up next, we'll bring Blaine closer to home and talk about an elk hunt in Colorado. This is Toby Cavallibug. All of us at LOA are proud to make Kev Jackson sound smart, sort of. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored in part by Bemidji State University. You can pursue your passions with a world-class education in the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods. The drive to acquire deeper knowledge and develop greater wisdom is already in your nature. So join us on the shores of Lake Bemidji. Minnesota's premier Northwoods University can help you make the world a better place than you found it. Learn more at BemidjiState.edu and schedule a tour today. 
BemidjiState.edu. This is Dick Beardsley, and this is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Checking back in with Blaine Clemick. He is the assistant wildlife manager out of the Northwest Minnesota office in Bemidji. He is not wearing his DNR hat today. He is wearing his storyteller's hat because he loves to go out and hunt and fish all over the place and has some great tales to tell. First segment, we talked about a trip to Alaska. Then you were in uh, you were in the mountains. Was in the mountains again. Kevin, I've been going out to northwest Colorado to hunt since 2006. And I remember the first time uh, for that particular hunt uh, back in 2006. I remember sitting around the campfire in uh, northwest Colorado, and we're all talking about, you know, should we put in for next year, you know? And, uh, well, we did. And I don't think that conversation ever happened again. <laughs> it just it just become a habit. So, uh, yeah, the north northwest part of the state, uh, folks are familiar with the Gore Mountains. Uh, their little 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 ranch town called Kremling, um, not too far from Steamboat Springs, is where I've typically gone since 2006 to hunt. Um, most often it's mule deer but uh that's a that's a draw hunt so you don't always get a uh a tag so the beauty of at least that part of colorado is that uh elk is over the counter uh bulls um so most years i'm out there hunting with a rifle but in recent years um kind of uh shook things up here a little bit and last year we we headed down to southwest Colorado and hunted elk with the muzzleloaders uh, and hunted the San Juan wilderness area. Um, but this year, this year was a different one altogether, Kevin. There's the three uh, three fellows here in Bethesda that's been after me for a long time to maybe join them and uh, do their drop camp type hunt. And I've always wanted to do that. Uh, what I do is do it your do it yourself, which, you know, I have all the gear I need for setting up, uh, you know, a big camp with a 14 by 16 wall tent. But, you know, that, that takes obviously, uh, some, some, uh, you know, extra, you know, doing something like that, extra gear, uh, big trailer and, and all this planning that goes into do it yourself hunt. Uh, this particular hunt that I went on this, uh, just this past September last month, um, was, a outfitted hunt where uh we rode up on horses about two and a half hour horse ride just just north of uh hayden actually which is uh a town between steamboat springs and craig and utilizing the services of an outfitter to get us up to a drop camp and this drop camp uh, like i said a two and a half hour horse ride up up slope um and the Wranglers dropped us off and see you in seven days unless you get a, unless you get an elk. And we had ways to reach them by uh, texting um, or uh, walkie-talkie. But that hunt, that hunt, uh, just being up there in a spot uh, in a game management unit, uh, GMU, it's kind of, Think of it as our deer permit areas here. They're, they're called game management units in Colorado. Um, in a kind of a remote location, 
the very corner of a, uh, or I should say a part of the GMU that was up against the uh, some property that was privately owned. Mm-hmm. So, and plus a remote area far from from any kind of trail. So we had we had that part of the world fairly to ourselves, which is you know one of the one of the draws, one of the ad, uh, advantages of utilizing the services of an outfitter, um, uh, getting you into a drop camp where, you know, from there you're on your own and all you can bring, uh, of course, is your hunting, uh, clothes and hunting equipment and, and your food, uh, what, what a pack horse can carry. And, and then that's it. And that's what, that's how we, that's how we hunted. We hunted with bows, uh, just a few weeks ago and, uh, had ourselves a ball. How'd you do? Well, you know, we didn't do uh, we didn't bring any venison back, um, which is kind of typical <laughs> for <laughs> for elk hunting. Um, you know, success rate on on elk hunting uh, depending on where you're at, of course, but uh, it you know it ranges with archery, you know, in, in you know below ten percent to you know perhaps as high as twenty to thirty percent, depending depending on where you're at. Now, the thing about it, uh, you know, I, ne- I never go into these kinds of hunts, Kevin thinking that uh you know i'm coming back with venison um that's just you know that's just icing on a cake that's already iced i like to say uh getting venison but we we had uh, some things kind of stacked against us i would say a little bit environmentally uh, as far as the weather was concerned we had a full moon that does affect things to some degree but what really affected elk movement this uh on this particular trip was the temperatures um good grief it was uh it was 90 degrees uh in the low 90s the first three days of the hunt so uh, i don't know how many people uh have hunted uh mountain hunting uh, you know with packs on your back and uh you know trying to get around in 90 degrees heat and 90 degree heat it's it's uh it's tough it's tough to get around uh it's hard to stay motivated the elk actually the the males uh the bulls of course this season is this time of year it's the rutting season and they're generally vocal vocalizing bugling as it's called uh it was quiet there were i think i only well i know i only heard uh three bulls total bugling i saw elk i was close to elk uh couldn't put the move on the elk that i saw they were actually couldn't have even legally shot the ones i did see up close there were two spikes those are you can't shoot a spike bull in, in Colorado, but uh, I was limiting myself even further, Kevin, because not only was I hunting with a bow, we were all hunting with bows. I was hunting with my recurve bow, so <laughs> I had to be close to an elk if I was ended up going to get one. It was going to have to be an animal, uh, you know, within ten to twenty yards. So it, it's hot. It's difficult, it's tough to stay motivated, and you didn't even get an elk. Tell me again why I'm supposed to like this. <laughs> you, can't, you can't beat the views. I mean, that's the thing about Colorado and any place in the mountains. You know, at every turn of the head is, is another view, and uh, that, that's what it's all about yeah. for me. I, I love, just love walking around the mountains. I stay in shape all year long to try to, you know, make sure that this is something that uh, the body can handle, and 
and so I'm ready for it, and I can't wait for it, and I never want to be, uh, I never want to go. I mean, I never want to leave once I'm there. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, it's there's a lot more to it than just seeing the game. I mean, I saw all kinds of mule deer, um, which is really exciting for me. I just love that species of deer. Uh, and, you know, the different species of birds that a person sees, you know, we have some of the same ones, but we don't have mountain chickadees. We don't have Clark's nutcrackers. We don't have Stellar's jays and uh, these kinds of species. And, and the other neat thing about this particular trip, Kevin, was I finally, finally, finally got to see a mountain lion uh, with my own two eyes. I've, like I said earlier, I've been hunting Colorado since '06. But and seeing mountain lion tracks, you know, this this is a part of the world out west where mountain lions are truly abundant. Uh, but to see one, it's it's very rare, even for people that live out uh, out west where mountain lions exist. Uh, but anyway, I did finally see one, and it was a close encounter, uh, which was pretty exciting. I was. I had been hunting up slope from this creek, uh, and I needed to get down slope because it was getting kind of long in the day, and I needed to get back to camp, uh, you know, not too much past dark. Um, this was new country for me and all that. So anyway, uh, it was about that time, and I needed to leave my post as I was sitting uh, looking overlooking a nice mountain meadow and as I was leaving down slope toward this creek. I was about 35 yards from uh, a game trail along this creek. And uh, I was standing there just resting, kind of leaning on my trekking pole. And there was a mountain lion walking, walking on the uh, deer trail, the game trail along that creek. And it was, it was what I thought by just its first appearance was that animal is hunting too. You know, it was walking real slow and deliberate with its uh, gaze fixed straight forward. Well, I don't know if I moved or, or if it just happened to, you know, because it could see upslope uh, through this opening, it just naturally looked up that way, and it stopped moving when it saw me. And <laughs> this is 35 yards away, and I'm, oh, that's interesting, it stopped, you know. And so I wanted to record it, uh, you know, on, a, on the camera. I wanted to get a picture, so I... I reached in my, my cargo pants pocket of my left thigh where I keep the phone. And I don't know if you've... You got a smartphone? Yes. Yeah. Do you ever take a picture with your left hand? Or are you left-handed? I'm left-handed, but I know I would, I've never taken a picture with my right hand. Okay. So here I am, <laughs> a right-handed guy. And you know, i got my bow in my right hand, and I'm trying to keep the trekking pole from falling down on the ground. And so I fished that phone out of my my cargo pants pocket and i'm i'm trying to find the darn uh you know the camera icon <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the smartphone and i finally found it and well by gosh i was able to slowly lift my arm and i took that photo and as i was putting the phone back into the pocket you know i did all this really slow uh and careful uh keeping an eye on the cat the cat did something that i did not anticipate it to do in fact i had always figured from the start that it you know would eventually run off it sort of positioned its body a little bit more toward me and it crouched 
Mm. <laughs> so I'm standing there thinking, well, I'm probably, well, first off, if anybody listening think, you know, going, well, why didn't you, you know, shout at it, Blaine, and why didn't you put your arms up in the air like you're supposed to? <laughs> yeah, those are all the things that a guy should do. Uh, when encountering a mountain lion, and I know these things, but I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to stay quiet, and I wanted to uh, uh, get a photo of it, and I wanted to enjoy it. Well, like I said, this animal did this crouch posture, and at that point, I'm starting to think, well, what, what, what are you up to, cat? And I turned around to look on the ground to see if there were, uh, you know, like like a, a stick or a rock or something I could use if I if I actually needed to. And I just looked quickly behind me, saw a couple of uh, objects that I could possibly bend down and pick up. And uh, but then I looked back where the cat was, and it was gone, mm. it just vanished. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it just so happened too um, that uh, a fella back at camp, um, Mike Schley, a friend out, out here in, in Besida, um Southwest Midgey here. Uh, he saw a mother, uh, a female mountain lion, and her two kittens. And a couple of days later, happened to see uh, another mountain lion, a larger one, sleeping on a log. So, uh, pretty rare. Not only to see one, but uh, for a camp to uh, encounter a few other mountain lions. Well, and we've 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 had a couple in our neck of the woods, have we not? Oh yes, yeah. In fact. Uh, uh, I would say that, well, the first mountain lion I ever saw in the wild, uh, you know, was actually a dead mountain lion, and that was that mountain lion back in, oh, shoot, what was that, about 2010? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, and that was a, a mountain lion that was struck and killed on a roadway, Car Lake Road, Bemidji, and I was involved as a, as a DNR employee at that time, working out of the Bemidji area office, um, I was uh, the media contact point point of contact for that that thing, and that was a young male young male lion of about two and a half years old uh, that fairly reliably could could tell that this animal through some uh, analyses of of porcupine quills um, that was embedded in this animal's chest or various other parts of its body, uh, the porcupine quills ended up being uh, more um, uh, similar to the uh, a population of uh, of porcupines that it, that exist out in uh, the Black Hills, so okay. uh, you know felt that this mountain lion had a fair chance of probably coming from that, and that tends to be the deal with mountain lions here in Minnesota is that the uh, animals that do show up from time to time, and uh, they do exist in the state of Minnesota. Um, uh, are, are males. There's just simply no evidence of of any breeding population of mountain lions in the state. But uh, the lions that have shown up, uh, hit on the road and various uh, uh, places like that where we can actually confirm, um, have all been males. Well, for for those who love the outdoors, love fishing, love hunting, obviously it sounds like, you know, Alaska and uh Colorado are places that that need to be on their bucket list if they haven't been there yet. Yeah, there's you got it. There's places out here, you know, not too far from right home here. Obviously, we live in uh, we live in uh, prime prime hunting and fishing country that people from all over 
the United States and elsewhere actually come to, uh, you know, as a destination, Minnesota. Um, so a person really doesn't have to travel far uh, to, to get into the thick of things here recreationally. But there, there are other places. North Dakota has a wealth. South Dakota has a wealth of hunting opportunities right next door. Um, in fact, the last few years, Kevin, I've been tasting northwest Nebraska, um, hunting uh, mule deer and whitetail with a muzzle loader in the northwest part of the state, what they call panhandle. And uh, for those who have just a mental image of Nebraska, uh, you probably have an image of I-80 uh, going through the state and um, thinking that there's not a lot out there. Well, um, there's a lot out there. The Sand Hills, uh, the northwest part of Nebraska, is forested. In fact, it's Nebraska National Forest Land, and uh, there's lots of topography, pretty steep and deep stuff that's can top out at four to, I think, close to five thousand feet. But um, anyway, just another place that's not all that far away from here. Great stories from Blaine Clemick. Blaine, thank you for taking the time today and and sharing those stories. And maybe whetting our appetites for some adventures down the road. Also, thanks to Edie Everts with her input on the Lake of the Week, Deep Lake over by Clearbrook, a bass and panfish lake. And again, oftentimes we do not get the full interviews on the radio portion of the show. So if you want to hear the whole thing, you can always listen at the podcast. And then, of course, listen to it at your leisure in case you're not available when we air it on the radio. You can do that at Podcast One on the PodMN app or on your Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors radio station's website. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for being here. Paul Bunyan Country. We all have a lot on our plates. Work, kids, relationships. And sometimes it can be hard to just catch a breath. When life is go, 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 it matters where you stay. Hilton's family of brands is team members dedicated to making you feel truly cared for so you can mentally check out before you even check in. Take the break you deserve and book your next stay on Hilton.com. Hilton for the stay.